This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week I am very excited to be joined by author Sophie McIntosh. Sophie's debut novel, The Water Cure, was longlisted for the Booker Prize last year and earned her comparisons to Margaret Atwood, who also happens to be a fan of her new book too, Blue Ticket. Like Atwood, Sophie specialises in feminist dystopian fiction. In this episode, we talk about her representation of motherhood in Blue Ticket, why women choose not to have children today are sometimes ostracised from society, and we also touch on abortion and why it's still seen as such a taboo subject. Enjoy the show! Hi Sophie. Hi Olivia. How how are you doing? How have you been coping with the heat wave? We've had like four days of crazy heat now when we're recording this. How have you been finding it? Um, it's a, it's been okay. We're really lucky to have a garden, and my partner did the most genius thing in the world, which was uh, we bought a paddling pool last year, and we have just had it like set up for three days, and we've just been in the paddling pool. <laughs> it's like dirty paddling pool with an umbrella over us. <laughs> That sounds like an ideal setup. It's it's. Oh, I've been in London and it has been so hot. <laughs> I have never ever experienced heat like that in my life. So, and honestly, I think normally when the sun comes out, I love it. And then in the city, when there's no shade and there's no swimming pool, there's no nothing, it becomes like actual hell. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. So today we are going to talk about motherhood. Um, but we're also going to talk about Blue Ticket um, because that is, I think, motherhood is one of the central themes to the book. So could you start off by just explaining the plot? Sure. So Blue Ticket is about um, a world where on the day of your first period, girls are sent to a lottery station and they pick a ticket from a machine. And they're either like a, a blue ticket or a white ticket. And the white ticket means they can have a family and children and the blue ticket means they can't. And then that one decision kind of follows them throughout the rest of their life and dictates the way their life turns out. And we follow uh, our heroine, Kala, who picks a blue ticket. And she's initially happy with it, but then as time goes on, she decides she really wants to have a baby. And so she kind of has to find her own way and, you know, find a way to have what she desires, basically. And how old are the women when they go to the lottery? Uh, like 13, 14. So, yeah, kind of like the day of the first period. Kala is 14 when she does it. Okay. Young to be making that kind of, young to have that kind of decision made for you. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like on the precipice of puberty, sort of, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. and and it's completely random whether they get a blue ticket or a white ticket uh yes it is yeah so it's obviously a really unique idea um so I'm dying to know where where it came from and what made you want to explore motherhood in this way I think for me I was thinking a lot about babies kind of in my own life and in my life around me and obviously it's just a massive choice and I think my position on it has kind of changed as I've gone through my life I've gone from really being sure that I was not going to have kids and feeling like quite good about that to feeling like incredibly broody and that was weird and so kind of 
thinking about that change and also thinking about all the things I would gain from a baby, all the things I would lose from a baby. And it's just, there's just so much around it. It can feel quite bewildering, not knowing what is the right choice. And so the idea of the, the, like the lottery, it's a sim- such a simple idea, um, but it really kind of just um, makes it, in a way it makes it easier for the girls, but also kind of, they don't have any say in the matter. Um, and I was thinking as well about, I guess, just ideas around kind of being a maternal person or a non-maternal person, because, I'm like not a very maternal person. I, I feel like no one would look at me and say, oh, she's very like, you know, she's definitely the kind of person who would love babies. <laughs> I think could surprise my friends sometimes when they find out how broody I actually am. And it made me think about, you know, how we kind of internalize these ideas about ourselves as well, about um, kind of being nurturing or caring and the way we're raised to be as women and, and how, you know, even if we decide not to have children or we do, I think, we have these ideas of like what a mother should be like, um, what a mother, what a good mother is like, or a bad mother, and how these kind of might factor into how we live our lives. Mm, it's really interesting. I think I think mothers are judged so harshly on just in terms of once you become a mother, in terms of how you choose to parent your child. It is it is such a it's such a thing that people just feel so passionately about, like even something as simple as whether or not you choose to breastfeed your baby um, or, or give them formula. Like, you know, you see these heated debates on mum's net, you see how flammable all of these subjects are around motherhood and parenting in general. Um, but going back to what you said about being maternal, I think that's really interesting. And this is something again, that the book brings up. It's like, to what extent is motherhood linked to femininity? And is that, is that link in itself quite an archaic idea? What do you think? Yeah, it seems, you know, the idea of someone maternal is so linked to femininity, I think, and about the idea of being like a good, a good woman. There's, it's still, I think we still kind of buy in a lot to the kind of like virgin whore dichotomy and like wife material and all this stuff. And we are so judgmental about mothers. Like you said, it really, we really, really are. Um, I've been like quite surprised, well, not surprised, but, disappointed maybe in, you know even in media reactions to the book um I've out in the US already and I've seen you know people be like oh this the Kala shouldn't have a baby she's clearly terrible I don't see why she'd want to have a baby because you know she's very you know it doesn't really make sense and it's kind of like that idea of you have to be this kind of this perfect version of femininity to sort of be a mother it's, it's strange because you know mothers come in all shapes and sizes and some are good and some are bad but it's yeah we, we view women as like their sole role in life is to have children. Um, and so this is something else I wanted to ask you about is when you, well, there's two parts really. So one, when you can't have children as a woman, you know, what, what do you see? So in, your, in the book, for example, it's women with uh, blue tickets like Kala, but in real life, it's obviously women who have fertility issues. Um, and what, what do you think the impact of that is on a woman's sense of her own femininity um, and using colour as an example. The idea of the lottery and it was that kind of really simple concept because you can't tell beforehand like if it's going to be hard necessarily that's the thing it's kind of it's like anyone can have a baby but at the same time maybe you're the one person who can't and it doesn't matter like how good you are or how much you kind of want it sometimes I think there is that kind of weird um atmosphere like the kind of unfairness and again when it's so tied into like ideas of femininity and you know you're not truly fulfilled unless you have a child or whatever uh, I think it's like a hard thing not to be able to kind of 
do that one, do that thing that society tells you is, you know, the right thing, the thing that you're kind of made for. And going back to this idea of freedom, because the way that the tickets are kind of opposed, it's like women with blue tickets have a greater degree of freedom because they don't have to have children, whereas the white ticket women are sort of bound to a life of domesticity. So do you think that, I'm interested in what you think of the freedom that having a child sort of takes away from you. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's, there's freedoms that you receive as being a mother as well, but what do you think you lose as a woman by having a child? What do you think you have to sacrifice? I guess when I think about it in terms of my own life, I think about kind of, you know, freedom and yeah, I guess just the ability to be selfish, like uh, that was something I would really, I would really miss. I would really miss if I had a baby, um, the ability to kind of do what you like. And that is something that, you know, the blue ticket women have in blue ticket, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I imagine having a baby gives you so much. And I know, especially in the book, I kind of really leaned into like the stereotypes of, what someone without children would do because you know I'm sure I, I could have written a book with a blue ticket women who did amazing things and like changed the world because you know they can just be so super focused on their career and have all this freedom and instead I kind of went for a heroine who like has a lot of freedom but nece not, doesn't necessarily like enjoy it that much and kind of takes it in a more in a smaller way um but yeah I think that ability to be selfish and I'm interested about how you said your view changed on motherhood over time. What was, what do you think was the kind of turning point for you? Was it a matter of where you were at in terms of your career or just how you felt personally about having children? What was kind of the, the catalyst for you changing your point of view? I think it was a combination of things because, um, yeah, I'd got to kind of a good point in my career or at least I was... Um, in my writing career something was actually happening at last and I, I've been in a relationship for like eight years and just feeling like a lot more stable after years and years of like not feeling very stable in my life and it was strange that kind of when all those things clicked into place I suddenly felt um, yeah I suddenly just felt the urge to have a baby and it was it was strange because it was like is it just happening now because this is kind of more of a you know it's more logical like it could actually happen it makes more sense for it to me to do it now um, is it because all my friends are kind of having babies and I'm seeing babies and for the first time in my life I'm hanging out with babies and seeing them not as like this abstract terrifying thing that cries and will like take away your freedom but as this like lovely little ball of joy that um, you know people I love and respect um, are raising like really well <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting because it's just is it something like in your body or is it something that you just sort of slip into and kind of feel not the pressure but because everyone else is doing it maybe you think it'd be a good idea I still kind of don't know which one it was it's probably both <laughs> yeah I'd say it's probably both but it's interesting isn't it because you know obviously you, you, you give birth to a baby in your own body so maybe there is something biological going on there to do with broodiness but it also must be a little bit you know if, if all of your friends are having babies and you're in a stable mm -hmm you know financial situation you have a stable partner then you know it's kind of like you've got all of the components there so it makes sense to then think about bringing a child into the mix but then something something I was thinking about when writing Blue Ticket was because I was kind of researching pregnancy and looking into it and stuff and 
I kind of, you know, I had the idea in my head that it's actually, it's such a terrifying thing and it's such a kind of dangerous thing for the female body. And it's, you know, in a way, in a way we kind of, that urge makes sense because how else do you convince people to keep doing it when it's a thing that is actually quite dangerous? Like it's a, it's a risky way to keep like propagating the, spe the species really. <laughs> It, biologically it's quite like violent and terrifying so it, it, it was kind of interesting to think of it in those terms as well as opposed to like oh it's like milky and lovely and you make a sweet baby and think of it in this like bloody like turning your own body against itself way like it's kind of like carrying you know it sounds horrible but like carrying like a, an alien life form or a parasite like something that literally sucks all your nutrients out of you it's it's, it's so weird <laughs> yeah no you're right though and we never we never talk about the goriness of pregnancy and of giving birth but then as soon as you talk to any new mother and you ask them about you know what it was like there's so much stuff that goes on that you're just like oh my god really so then this rips and then and then this happens and then and then you who yourself in front of the doctor and your husband and like all this stuff it's like there's so much that that we don't talk about that is so gruesome and obviously being pregnant is hard work you know you have to you do have to sacrifice a lot just just for those nine months of pregnancy so it is interesting um, and obviously I wanted to ask you about this as well. So women who choose not to have children. So that's obviously a different thing to women who are infertile or to women who have fertility issues or keep miscarrying. Um, it feels like there is still a big taboo around women who choose not to have children, particularly once they get to say like their early thirties, mid thirties, when you know, people will be like, oh, well, your biological clock is running out. <laughs> um, why, why do you think that that is still a thing today when we are supposedly in, you know, the most progressive age that we've been in? I think it must be, it must be tied into like social stuff and issues of femininity, like you said earlier, because I can't think, like, it, it makes sense, <laughs> really. I, I mean, obviously, like, we need to keep having babies, but at the same time, um, you know, there's a climate emergency and you know, there's a lot of really good reasons not to have a baby and especially um, as more and more kind of, you know, people are kind of unstable and don't feel they can give us stability to that child. I mean, in terms of um, like living situations and stuff and job situations. Um, so it's strange that, yeah, like when it, it's a completely valid decision and it, I mean, it always has been a valid decision, but now more than ever, it feels almost like, almost like the responsible decision. Sometimes I feel irresponsible for wanting a baby so much when you know there's so much kind of going on in the world already and I can make this little change that might have like an environment environmental impact but I think it takes a long time for ideas to change socially and yeah again it's so tied up in completing you as a woman you know you're you're, you're a good person a good mother uh, you're doing a doing social thing by bringing a baby into the world somehow. Do you think um, sometimes then women have children for the wrong reasons because maybe it's they have the children because they feel pressured that that is what society tells them to do and then a few years down the line or maybe even even a few months down the line they realize oh god I actually wasn't I wasn't ready for this yet do you think that's something that happens quite frequently and I'm you know in the book in the context of the book I suppose that would happen to the white ticket women because you know they might have the children before they are ready to just because it's what they've been told that oh well this is your ticket in the lottery um so it's such an interesting comment on that situation yeah, yeah I mean it must happen that I think that's that's almost like the last taboo it's like we don't really talk about is that you know the, the 
there are people out there who regret having children <laughs> um, but it's always like to say it is the worst thing like I, no one would ever kind of admit it I guess um, and it's not something I really see talked about or explained but it's also like it's, it's just something to be really afraid of it, it was it was a fear for me and I, you know it's a fear for Kala I think it's a fear for lots of people it's what if you have your baby it's a decision you can't take back it's like it's, it's the one thing you can never really undo um so it's quite like yeah it's quite a massive thing to think about and when you are operating under such like social pressure and I think it's just really easy to slip into things and you know you can get pregnant accidentally it, it's strange that it can just sort of it can just sort of happen and then your life is totally different and for like one of the biggest decisions you can make in your life it's kind of to have it's so, so easy to slip <laughs> It's, yeah. It's a Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As a reader, but correct me if I'm wrong, the main thread in the narrative, you know, motherhood aside, seems to be that of, of choice. And, you know, you, you hear that word coming up a lot. Um, when, when the characters speak to one another, I think Kala says, my name is Kala and I wanted to choose. And so it's not, is, is it a spoiler to say that, you know, she's given a blue ticket and then she decides that she wants to actually have a baby? Oh no, that's not a spoiler at all. <laughs> but yeah, so she obviously goes against the system. And so yeah. I wanted to take that context and apply it to something else that you talk about in the novel which is which is abortion and you reference it there's one character I think it's Valeria who uh who aborts her baby um so why do you think it why do you think it's so important that we keep talking about abortion in those terms and in terms of the importance of this pro-choice narrative because you would think that today that is something that people have a pretty good understanding of but then you, you know, you hear what Kanye West is saying about anti-abortion at his presidential rallies and you hear all, you know, you the spate of restrictions that happened in the US. So clearly it's something we still need to talk about. Um, was that a conscious decision for you to kind of bring that into the narrative at all? I wanted definitely to kind of show all sides, but I think, you know, when it comes to bodily autonomy, it's something that we can never take for granted, like the ability to have a safe abortion like it's just it's always historically been a way for bodies to be controlled and I mean it still is now and I think as kind of right-wing rhetoric expands across the world as well it's something that could be really easily taken away and it's just again like I say it's like you can it's so easy to get pregnant <laughs> well, not for everyone but it can be such a massive decision and it just takes away your autonomy if, it, if it's not something you want um if it's something yeah just the idea of control I guess and ha having 
that ability to choose is really important and I think it's something that we can't really get complacent about I mean even the abortion referendum in Ireland was like what two two years two years ago and that, that seemed that seems like you know some really inhumane stories are coming out of that you know people being made to have babies against their will just I can't see how that's ever kind of acceptable i still think that actually abortion isn't something that we really talk about like we we talk about it within the context of the news so like within the irish referendum and within within the us and everything um but i still think that women who experience it feel a lot of shame around it and Mm. we don't we don't have open conversations about it and and that kind of it kind of keeps it it keeps it like a dark internal thing almost so yeah why do you think why do you think that is how do we how do we overcome that i was thinking about um have you seen sex education and there's a scene in there where a character has an abortion and i was just so struck at how well it treated it and how it made the abortion seem just like not not a big life-ruining deal i think we go through our whole, whole life being told that you know abortion's bad or it's a really big deal, but you know, it's it's in the end of the at the end of the day, an early abortion or an, any abortion is still it's not a baby yet. It's like it's a medical procedure. It's just one that again, um, I guess, is being used to take away bodily autonomy. And I guess there's so much shame around it because maybe it just feels it feels like we should want that baby. I don't know. It's hard to yeah. It's definitely something I wish we talked about more. Yeah, because I think it's um. It's just, yeah, it's just not something that is an open, open discussion. And it's, you know, like, yes, it, it's like in the one sense of, yes, it's happening in the news and yes, we are pro-choice. But then at the same time, like you still get in the UK, I mean, pre-COVID, obviously, um, but you would get protesters standing outside abortion clinics um, trying to dissuade women from going inside. And the government um, conducted a review into buffer zones. So putting them all they have to all stand a hundred meters away. Um, and, and it didn't, it didn't go through the home office rejected it. So there are certain clinics that now they have to stay hundred meters away, but, but it's not, it's not, it's not enforced at every single one. Um, which it just seems so bizarre to me that they would, they would allow that to happen. Like they almost talk about it as if like, it's a free speech issue. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's like, how is it a freedom of speech issue and it's people's own bodies and it just, it's such a small thing and it just kind of, I, I don't know, it hits home how little this government really cares about <laughs> quite a lot of things. But mm. yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it just seems, especially in this day and age and when we are so open about so much to still be having these conversations like, oh, is it okay for a woman who's about to go and have a medical procedure to be like bullied and harassed and yeah, yelled at when it, it might be traumatic it might not be traumatic though but we make it into this like moral kind of yeah this massive moral big deal i wanted to ask you a bit about um how you think contraception plays into the motherhood conversation as well so obviously all of the women with blue tickets they get uh given iud's don't they Mm -hmm. uh now i'm sure you will know this women have to go through a lot of hell with contraception (laughs) um and you know for example uh getting an IUD it can I have friends where it has been rejected by the body so then that's like a really traumatic thing and it's really painful where it kind of like falls out of you I've had other friends where it goes missing in their body and 
I've had other friends where it, um, it obviously just gives them a lot of pain or it gives them really heavy periods or it gives them no periods. And then they're consciously like constantly worried that maybe it won't work. Um, and then there are other forms of contraception that, you know, sometimes just don't work. Nothing's hundred percent effective. How do you think that imbalance in terms of between the sexes, because obviously, so in straight, in straight relationships, all men have to do if they're not going to get a vasectomy is wear a condom. <laughs> so how do you think that kind of imbalance plays into these conversations that we have around motherhood and femininity and just, and just parenthood in general? I mean, it's massive. I really resent that men have it so easy in that way. I would love like a male pill so much. And you say, you know, all they have to do is wear a condom. And it's like, how many men just refuse to wear condoms as well? Like I just, I hear about it all the time from friends who are dating and stuff. And it just seems insane to me that, you know, a man would just, willingly just get you pregnant just for like your his own pleasure but I don't know why that should surprise me so much but no but it is it's like yeah, it's, seen mean, as, it's seen as the woman's responsibility the it's woman's like, responsibility. yeah yeah it's the woman's responsibility to get, to get the contraception I, I think I think it's hard as a man to kind of get your head around that kind of enormity that sense of you know it, it all being on you I think as well, there's just, you know, contraception really, in my experience as a woman who's been on contraception for like more than half her life now, um, you know, doctors themselves don't even really seem that interested in the best option for you or even how things work. Um, you know, I just feel like there's just, it's kind of just something you have to, it's seen as something you have to put up with. I've been to the doctor um, so many times about contraception, about, you know, side effects that really affect my life and about trying to find the best options. You're always kind of fobbed off. And I think I, I'm now on like the mini pill and I was getting like a lot of bleeding with that and, you know, just weird side effects. And my male GPs were just so uninterested and were like, well, you just have to sort of put up with it or, or change. And then I saw a female GP who was like, well, it's not acceptable for this to be happening to you. And then gave me another another pill to take with my actual pill that somehow stopped all the side effects and I was, I was like I don't even know how it worked and when I went to see my male GP he was like I don't actually know why that drug interaction works as well um so it's just you know it's just all a mystery really to even the doctors and that's quite a scary idea as well as that, the idea of like responsibility yeah. <laughs> that's unbelievable that's unbelievable because also I, I know I mentioned this earlier but my friend my friend whose coil um got lost inside her she had had a baby um, and when she went to get contraception after having had a baby, no one told her that actually after you've given birth, your, your uterus is really soft. And because of that, you shouldn't ever get a coil immediately after giving birth because then the coil can, you know, not stay in the right place. And so with her, it did not stay in the right place and it, oh it somehow made its way up to her intestines. That's terrifying. Um, and it's <laughs> petrifying. And the doctor didn't tell her that. And it's, it's almost like, it's it, it like you said it's deeper than just the conversations that we have with our partners it's the conversations that doctors are having and the lack of research I guess into it it's almost like it's just accepted that women have to put up with this crap I was reading an amazing article and there was a statistic I can't remember this specific exactly but it was something about um studies of erectile dysfunction versus studies of like painful sex in women like actual pain and the amount of research into that kind of thing for women is, is so small compared to the research into male sexual problems and I mean obviously I'm sure erectile dysfunction is, is a big issue um, 
but there's been a lot of money plowed into that and for women who physically can't have sex who have never enjoyed sex and for whom sex is like physically really painful it just seems incredible that there's actually very little in comparison looked into and I know it just says larger things about what as well as the contraception about how we see male pleasure versus female pleasure and you know how for women it's just the stakes are just different in, in the same article um I think I read um saying like they asked like men to rate good sex and women to rate oh, men to rate like bad sex and women to rate bad sex and for men the bad sex was like well I still I still had an orgasm but it was just a bit boring for me and uh, for women the bad sex was you know it just it was painful or I was assaulted the the stakes are just that much higher Mm, yeah you're you're so right and and the painful sex thing as well is such a is such a big issue I think it's so it's not even uh common parlance to to use a word like vaginismus you know which is mm. what, the condition where it is incredibly painful for women to have sex but actually you mentioned sex education earlier the tv show and it, it was it was mentioned in that I think um so I think that show has actually done a really uh a lot of brilliant things for conversations around sex and particularly with women it's so good it's so good I wish I'd had it when I was a teenager I'm thinking like how much how much more different could my have life as a woman have been if I'd seen that instead of like skins or something oh when God, I, was I know <laughs> skins is awful um finally it's time for our uh, lessons in love segment so this is the part of the show where I ask every guest to share something that they've learned from uh either their previous relationship experience or just from their own their own thoughts and experiences so I suppose for you perhaps writing about these things I know in the water cure there's um quite a lot of um there's quite a heavy relationship narrative in that book um which I loved by the way we haven't even spoken about that book <gasps> love that book so much um <laughs> will so yeah will you share um your lesson in love Sophie um, I think maybe, maybe this is quite relevant to water cure as well also probably relevant to the ticket but I think um, just hanging on to yourself I found really important I think I'm a person who for a lot of their life kind of just made so many concessions to relationships and um, you know kind of lost a lot of myself in them and actually it's only been when I've kind of really hung on to who I am I guess and sort of loved, loved myself that sounds a bit cheesy but you know what I mean like kind of um, try to really hold on to me and not to give too much away that things became sort of healthy and good um and I think that you know in, in the water cure that's something that Leah is figuring out and um Kala's like very independent um so yeah I think I really prize my independence now and it, my relationships have been better for it mm, I'm pleased you brought up Leah could you remind um the listeners uh, or those who haven't um read the water cure about her narrative and her relationship um I can't remember his name now but it's it's such a brilliant it's so relevant to what you just said <laughs> Yeah, um, so Leah is the middle sister in Watercure, which is a book about three sisters uh, living on an island uh, where they've never met men before and then men arrive. And Leah falls into a very um, sort of intense uh, and quite unhealthy relationship with one of the men called Slau. And she, I mean, she, she has no idea of kind of like the dating games you play and how you're supposed to react with a man. And she just falls like totally in love. And she's so kind of needy and kind of gives everything away and gets completely consumed by it and I mean like in the book it's not the right thing to do but I feel like in life as well it's a kind of di it's a dynamic that we see played out <laughs> in in real life and that's kind of why I want to explore it a bit in the book too um so yeah that kind of obsessive love isn't necessarily healthy and especially not in the book um where the stakes are higher but I think you know it's definitely a lesson to be learned 
so real life as well. Yeah, I think it's so easy. And when you're in the throes of infatuation at the beginning to just think I will do anything to make this person love me. I will like suppress any part of my personality that I think is unattractive to them just in order to kind of maintain this, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a natural instinct, I think, even though it's, it's quite toxic. Yeah, it's like one of those things that kind of, you, you know, when you're doing it, that it's really bad and it's actually you're kind of doing the, the worst thing you could be doing because obviously the, the, the more you kind of try to cling on to something, like the further away it kind of gets away from you and yeah, it's kind of the opposite of what you should be doing. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're a new listener to this show, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or anywhere else. You can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. Keep up with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. See you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.